Welcome to the Indestructible Wealth Podcast. This is the place where we help young entrepreneurs make, keep, and grow wealth that you can enjoy now and for years to come. I'm your host, Jack Gibson, a serial entrepreneur, founder of multiple seven and eight figure businesses and wealth building strategies. Each week, I'm gonna share my tips, resources, and secrets to help you create a plan and build the life you've dreamed of. Hey guys, today we're going to do a rapid fire round on personal finance. So this isn't investing. These are just things that my beliefs and philosophies have kind of formed over the years, just looking at how this has played out for me. Some of these go against the traditional grain of advice. So as you can expect, um, I'm an alternative uh, finance and investor, and I'm going to lay out pros and cons to some of these as well. But uh, we're not going to do a deep dive into any of these. I'm just going to kind of give you guys a bird's eye view of these kind of concepts. Credit card or debit card? Which one would you go with? Of course, in everything in finance, investing, it's the answer is it depends. Overall, I'm a huge fan of credit cards for a couple of reasons. But uh, let's talk about debit cards. So the prevailing wisdom from some of the gurus of why debit cards is because it hurts more when you spend cash and you can't get yourself into credit card debt, right? When you are using debit cards. The problem with this is that you're um, not protected very well. If your card gets hacked, it gets stolen, and your cash is swiped out of your account, you could be, it could be take you a while to get it to recover it, or you may never get it back. I had a situation in college where I used, I was only using debit cards all the way through college because I thought that was the financially responsible thing. However, two big problems. Number one, my card got it got hacked. I don't have any idea how. I had it on my possession so that somebody hacked the number somewhere. They went into an urban clothing store, spent 500 bucks. I took the company to small claims court and you know they were like, well, it wasn't our fault. We just processed a, a, a normal transaction. The judge sided with them. I didn't get my money back. He said, go to the credit card company. I did. And they denied it and they wouldn't give me my freaking money back. $500, you know, when you're 20 years old, I mean, that's, that was a big deal. So still hurts, you know, just thinking about that because that was a, you know, a higher portion of my net worth. So you have a lot more protection with credit cards. If it gets, you know, hacked or stolen and somebody goes, you know, on a spending spree, there's a lot more protection because it's not your money. You're the money that's was spent was the credit card companies. They're a lot more conservative and careful and protective of their own money, right? That is um, one thing, protection. Number two is that you're using uh, other people's money to, to leverage off of. So if you're, especially if you're running a business, then, and you have, let's say you have inventory, well, and revolving inventory, you know, they get sold off every month. If you have your own cash, with a debit card, that means your cash is sitting on, you know, on the counter or it's sitting in the shelves or in the back room, right? So your cash is just sitting there not doing anything. Whereas if you have credit cards, you're leveraging off of the credit card company's money and their funds. The third thing, which is most important in my opinion, is using a credit card helps build up your credit. And I feel a good credit score and a history of showing great credit is very, very important in the wealth building game because I believe so strongly in utilizing debt, good debt, to buy cash flow producing assets that then can help me accelerate my wealth building strategy exponentially. 
if we use good debt responsibly, good debt makes you wealthier, whereas bad debt, consumer debt, which can be the problem with having credit cards if you rack it up, is very, very detrimental. So, <clears throat> but overall, credit card all the way, I'm pro on that. Emergency fund, should you have an emergency fund? Absolutely. You know, you definitely want to have, I have a couple different, three different emergency, four different emergency funds. First off, having cash on hand. You should always have some level of cash in your possession at all times. Okay. If you have it stuffed under your mattress, fine. I think locking it up somewhere in a fireproof safe, probably more smart, right? You definitely want to have some cash. The second way that I have an emergency fund is through my whole life ca high cash value insurance policy. Huge proponent of these. We, if you didn't hear the episode with Rachel Marshall on how to have your money working for you in two places at once at the same time, go back to that episode. I know it's not the most exciting subject, but it creates a great foundation of protection and creates indestructible finances. Yeah. You guys like that? With the high cash value insurance, I can call my agent. And I could have cash, a check in my possession within seven days tops. Usually it's quicker than that. So if I need quick access to cash, my money is still compounding. It's still growing. It's still making money while it's tied up in the whole life insurance policy. And on top of that, the policy provides protection for my family should anything happen to me, right? And I'm able to borrow against the policy at any time that I need to when I need cash. So that's the second way. Third way is through a HELOC, home equity line of credit. So I'm always a big fan of opening these up, even if you don't need them. That way you have access to quick credit, quick cash. I can go to my bank, drive there in 10 minutes, and I can have access to cash immediately. They'll give me, a, they'll give me whatever my line of credit is up to. I can max that out and I can pull that out and I, have, I can have cash right then. So I think that's very smart to have those open. If you have equity in your home and you have the ability to, um, to do this, I would definitely say open one up. Don't use it to go on vacation or to buy a boat or to buy an expensive car or treat it like an ATM machine, but having it available to you is smart. And if assets were to go on sale, for example, stocks crash, real estate crashes, crypto crashes, you guys are going to be able to go right to your bank, pull out cash out of your HELOC, and you're going to be able to scoop up things on at bargain levels. This is super smart. Cash will be king in the event of a market crash. There's going to be one. We know that winter comes. We just don't know when. So you want to be prepared for it. And then the fourth way that I have a emergency saving is in precious metals, some gold and silver. You can definitely want to have some. I think it's with the amount of government printing of money, it's super smart to have this as a hedge and to have it as a safety. If the shit were to really hit the fan, then silver will be a very dependable and acceptable medium of exchange. So those are four emergency funds that I have. You definitely want to have about six months worth of expenses in any or like combined through all four of those types of emergency funds. So it doesn't matter whether it's cash, cash, like cash in the bank, cash greenbacks in your safe. I think you should have both. And then, um, you know, cash value, whole life policy, HELOC, 
whatever, if all of that tallies up to six months worth of expenses, then you are in a pretty good position should anything major get disrupted with your income. Rapid fire, automation, should you do it? Absolutely, you should have things automated in your finances. To me, the most important are the big three. You want to have your taxes automated, your savings automated, and your charitable giving automated. My emotions swing from month to month, guys. Sometimes I don't really feel like really I'm not in the charitable mood. The kids can go get a job is what I'm thinking sometimes, right? I don't really want to support anybody. I want to support me. That's happens like we're human and you know, our emotions swing, our generosity kind of swings, but having these three set on autopilot where they're automatically swept out every month, this keeps me on track with my plan. My taxes go get paid in monthly. Okay. My, and you don't want to overpay on your taxes. Otherwise the government has your money for free for most of the year. If you're getting a tax refund, at the end of the year, that means you just paid in too much to the government. So we want to try to avoid that because we want our money with us working for us, being put to fruitful measure. All of my savings is pretty much done into my whole life cash value insurance policy. And that way I'm at least getting you know, some level of return. I figured out it's like 5.5% in my policy. You know, that's after tax value, which is pretty, that's not bad. That's automated every single month without fail. Okay. And then the third thing is our charity. You know, we believe strongly in charity. Our main charity is to our church. Um, that's just, you know, fundamentally what, what we want to support and what we believe in and made a huge difference in our lives, supporting uh, the place that spiritually nourishes us, whatever that charity is to you, doesn't have to be that. And I'm not telling you that that's what it needs to be. But I think a level of charitable giving where you put it on autopilot every month is uh, very important. We have $100, just 100 bucks a month goes out to the Young Life program. This is a great program to um, empower you know high school kids and give them a sense of community and support. You know we signed up for automation so that they just get they get their hundred bucks a month every month and that's great for them and and it helps them to forecast their cash flow and it helps us to stay on track with our giving with that organization. Debt pay down certainly the most important thing you can do on debt pay down is to be attacking any and all high interest consumer debt guys. This is so important. I cannot reiterate this enough. You certainly should not be investing until you pay down your high interest consumer debt, like credit card debt, or you've got an auto loan that's super high. You got to get attack that and get that out of your life. Okay. Because think about it. Let's say you have something for 10 or 15% even, and you pay that down. That's an automatic 10% on your money, right? So I wouldn't be trying to go out and buy any other asset when you have that kind of liability hanging over you because you're not going to be able to outpace that with your investments all that easy. Should you buy or lease a car? This one, I don't have a strong opinion on. I don't care either way. What I'm most concerned on in either situation is how big or like essentially how expensive of a car did you buy? I'm a huge proponent when you're starting off in your wealth building journey to buy a nice quality used foreign car, or it doesn't have to be foreign, but I've had really good luck. I bought a used Mercedes Benz. Some of those run until they're like 
300,000 plus miles you can get out of them. And they still, they hold their value. They, they, and they, and they do well, most of the depreciation on a car happens like the first three years. So getting a car around, you know, year three and you're picking it up where so much of the value of the car has been lost. So your depreciation from there will absolutely slow down depreciation, meaning the loss of, of value on the asset. That's the hitting cost of owning a car is the loss of value of that car. As you drive it, buying a expensive used or new car, when you're getting started trying to build wealth and you're not, you're not investing and you're not building for your future. You're not buying cash flow producing assets and you're buying, you know, expensive liabilities guys think you got to rethink you got to rethink your plan here okay let's not try to keep up with the joneses the joneses are broke you don't want to be broke you want to be rich you want to be wealthy you want to have cash flow coming in whether you're working or not and you got to do some of these smart finance moves in the beginning in order to get to the point where you have the ability to create an incredible investment portfolio um, okay, so then hidden fees. Let's talk about this. There's a lot of hidden fees that you guys are not aware of, but the main one is if you have any sort of investment account, you know, those 1%, 2%, if you're in a mutual fund, two, they charge some of those are like 2%, and that extra percent really adds up. So I think that you really got to be watching and understanding what fees that you're paying inside of your investment or banking accounts. Look at what's your monthly, are you being charged a monthly fee, service fee for your banking account? Are you paying late fees and interest fees on your credit cards because you miss your payments? Guys, those things all rack up. You got to be really watching any of those unnecessary fees that you're paying that could be draining out your future, you know, draining on your future, right? creating this drag on your finances. That means you have to you know, earn that much more to overcompensate. What I also love about credit cards is the cashback rewards. I get several thousand dollars back. I don't know how much. I think it's like five, six grand a year just on credit card cashback rewards because we use it for you know our businesses and the amount of spending and everything and just that, that little cash back it adds up and uh, that creates some really, really nice cash back awards that uh, we're able to use. So uh, like an extra stream of income for just for using credit cards. So consider all that. So these are some just some basic finance. If you guys have additional finance, just personal finance type questions, hit me up. I'll definitely include them into the platform. I'll, I'll, I'll answer on a next, you know, one of my next podcasts, I'll do a and a session but don't hesitate to reach out with questions. I want to hear what you guys, what's on your mind? What's on, what's, what are your obstacles? What are your challenges? Let me know and I'll be able to serve you more effectively. All right. Well, you guys have a great day. Hopefully this helped clear some things up on the personal finance game. I look forward to interacting with all of you throughout the various platforms. You can find me on, you know, the gram, TikTok, kind of Facebook. If you, uh, oh, you know what? I got a new line too that you can uh, can text me. Okay. You can text me on this line. If you have any questions, If it's 269-247-2881. Again, that's 269-247-2881. That's a dedicated line 
for indestructible wealth. So fire away. If you got something hits you, you wake up at 3 a.m. and you're like, man, indestructible wealth is on my mind right now. I got to ask a question. Fire away. It's not by me at all. You're not going to wake me up. I look forward to your questions and serving you. Have a great day. That's a wrap for this episode on the Indestructible Wealth Podcast. If you'd like to dive deeper into your own wealth building strategy, check us out at myindestructiblewealth.com and follow along on LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram, and yes, even TikTok. Send me your questions and your financial challenges, and I promise I'll respond. Also, I'll think you're really awesome if you'll share and leave me a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, remember our mission here is to help you make, keep, and grow wealth you can enjoy now and for years to come.